0: I was really excited to talk to Frederick Bachman about his book, Anxious People, which just came out in paperback. Frederick is the number one New York Times bestselling author of A Man Called Ove, My Grandmother Asked Me to Tell You She's Sorry, Britt Marie Was Here, Beartown, Us Against You, and now Anxious People, as well as two novellas and one work of nonfiction. His books are published in more than 40 countries. He lives in Stockholm, Sweden with his wife and two children. Welcome, Frederick. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Anxious People, your number one New York Times bestseller now out in paperback.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure.
0: So when I heard about Anxious People and that it was about sort of a hostage situation and the bank and da-da-da, I felt like that was not representative of actually what it's about. It's about some like seriously deep issues of, you know, society and, and, and money and suicide and family and all sorts of other things. So I feel like the hostage was like a ploy to, to almost not a ploy, but a, a means of a vehicle to, to get to the real story. Did you feel like that? Or did I just make that up?
2: No, but I think, I think, I think all, all, all cultures like that, in different ways, I think there are very few things that would—I mean—all the things that you like, all the things that you really get excited about. When you try to tell someone about them, it's very rarely that. Oh, it's about. Oh, oh it's about exactly the thing that it said on the back. It's about. I mean, the elevator pitch is very rarely what draws you into something. I mean, the, the most of the things that you get excited about are usually. Yeah, it's about this, but it's really about this and this and this and this and 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 you know the great, and people grasp onto to different things, different parts of a story. And I've written, I've i would written three. If you want to divide my 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 writing very categorically, it's I wrote three comedic novels to begin with, and then I wrote Bear Town and Us Against You, which are more dramatic in its setting. And with Bertrand and Us Against You, I wrote from a lot of different people's perspective, which I hadn't. I had only written comedies with one camera, so to speak. So this Anxious People was the first time that I employed the what I learned from Bertrand and Us Against You, the, the the way of writing with from a lot of different people's perspective. But I employed that in a comedic setting. I hadn't done that before. But as soon as you do that the story starts taking a lot of different directions. There's a lot of different things going on because it has to be, because if if you're writing about seven people, they can't all be experienced, experiencing the same story. There has to be. So I think that that's part of where it came from. And then I just tried to hold it all together in the end. But it's also, I mean, part of that is also a trick part of that is also because you use smokes and mirrors when you write i have to especially in this case where i try to write a locked room mystery and i try to distract you a little bit i need smokes and mirrors i need oh there's something emotional going on over here or there's something funny going on over here and i'm using that so that you don't pay attention to where i'm placing the clues of the mystery a little bit of everything
0: well, you, you did that very successfully because I was totally surprised as things unfolded throughout the book. <laughs> and I I just loved how, I mean, I just did not see any of it coming particularly. Like it just, anyway, well done. You know, <laughs> not that you need my my praise. I I know you've, you've had heaps of it, but I just thought it was absolutely brilliant the way it all became clear at the end what was going on the whole time. It was just brilliant. I just thought it was awesome. I also, I really loved the way you... Talk about parenting and the sort of stress that comes along with being a parent. I have four kids of my own, and I am very well, I'm very familiar with that particular brand of stress. And you had one passage towards the beginning that I was just hoping to read about parenting. You wrote, The man looked at him calmly, almost sympathetically, and replied, Do you know what the worst thing about being a parent is? That you're always judged by your worst moments. You can do a million things right, but if you do one single thing wrong, you're forever that parent who was checking his phone in the park when your child was hit in the head by a swing. We don't take our eyes off them for days at a time, but then you read just one text message and it's as if all your best moments never happen. No one goes to see a psychologist to talk about all the times they weren't hit in the head by a swing as a child. Parents are defined by their mistakes. So tell me a little bit about that, and if this is coming from a personal place or
2: or, or not. <laughs> no, but it's coming from a general place. It's I mean, you could you, I think you could apply that to grown being a grown up as well. That's a big part of being a, of growing up and becoming an adult. But in particular, as you become a parent, you start analyzing yourself and your place in the world more because a lot of the things that you assume about yourself and a lot of the things that you that are important to you all of a sudden you have they come into question because well this is really important to me but it doesn't like this particular principle of mine does not work when I have to be with my kids like this can be however important I want it to be it doesn't matter when I have kids and all of a sudden you have to like sort in between your principles and and decide what are the principles that are most important to me and one of the things that you learn fairly quickly is that that well you're going to be judged by your mistakes you're not going to be because you you also learn very quickly that you have this well how was your day You, you were with your kids like how was your day well the kids are gonna you know if you pick up your kids from school and you ask like how was your day they very rarely say Oh, you know what? For seven hours and 38 minutes, it was awesome that it was awesome. Like they're going to start with when, well, you know, this one other kid was mean, or this one kid threw sand or the teacher was unfair or, you know, that they're going to go straight to what's bothering them. If you ask for a review of yourself as a parent, they're going to go straight to like, these, these are your flaws. And that's that's just a thing that you. I think that I wasn't I wasn't as prepared for it, and I wasn't as prepared for the thing that. Well, you get zero credit as a parent, like, like all of the things <laughs> that you like. It's assumed that you you you're supposed to be a great parent. It's assumed, like, well, I I I gave my kids, you know, home cooked food every day this week. Well, it's assumed you're supposed to. And I, I felt that was something I could use, like this everyday anxiety. It's also the fact that if we, if you want to talk about like the, the dramatical points of, of writing a novel, it's, it's a pretty common statement about writing a novel that something has to be gambled. Like something, there, there has to be stakes. Someone has to be on the verge of losing something to make this interesting or... You know to make us root for them, and you call that stakes right like in the, yes. yeah, I think that was that was what I could use here to 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 make that obvious that as soon as your kids are involved, you know you're prepared to do a lot of pretty stupid things a lot <laughs> as, as soon as your kids are involved, you know your your everything changes your whole perspective of like what's. What, what would I be prepared to do to support myself? Well, that's a whole different qu- question from what would I be prepared to do to support my kids? What length would I go to keep my kids safe? Or, or So I, I kind of use those basic emotions of never being good enough and, and put that into a dramatical setting where, all right, this this could be the reason why people got put in this situation to begin with.
0: It's so interesting and so true. It is the most thankless job, you know, known to man, but yes.
2: <laughs> no, but it is because your kids always have that, they have that perfect argument to whenever you're upset with them then why did you have kids? I, you didn't have to get kids. It's not a law that you have to get. No one forced you to have kids. You had a kid. Now, you know, this is your, I'm your problem now. You figure it out. And that's such a perfect argument, especially if, you know, especially if they can say, well, I'm I'm your DNA. So if I'm, you know, if I annoy you, that's, that's on you.
0: <laughs> My kids don't say that to me, but they should. <laughs> yeah, your kids are a little more manipulative or brighter or, you know, smarter or something. I don't know. I can't even, you know, they don't need any more ammunition. But but back to the book, which is so fantastic. You know, one of the themes is anxiety, mental illness, what you do with your feelings, how you cope with them. There's the therapist character. There's and how she became a therapist and why. And then there's somebody in therapy. And then there's people contemplating suicide and jumping and, you know, the effects of the trauma of that and all sorts of, I mean, this is like a, it's like different rooms, therapy rooms, almost, you know, it could be a, a comic sort of with the strips of it, how many strands there are rather. And in particular, the suicide element, which I know you touch on also in your acknowledgements and giving resources and everything at the very end. Can you talk about your own experience? I lost a friend to suicide also, and it looks like from what you wrote, you you did as well, but I don't know if you're comfortable talking about it or if that was sort of the genesis for the, the plot points or or not.
2: No, but it's it's. I think I touched on the subject of suicide in all, almost all of my novels. I think I'm not sure, but I think in almost all of them. No, I, I I had a friend who ended his life when I was around 20 years old, and and I think I've I've touched on it. In, different ways all through my career but but as a writer but I think it's in this particular novel I wanted to write something about it about the fact that with the ripple effects with the fact that it affects people in ways you couldn't imagine if someone ends their life it's because you never get over it it's impossible to get past i mean it's 20 years ago that that my friend ended his, ended his life and i'm and i'm not over it i'm not close to being over it it doesn't you know there's no you know time heals all wounds there there's no there's none of that it doesn't it doesn't become logical or clear or fair or you you don't get over it. It, it. You can't get past it. And it affects you in ways that are almost incomprehensible if you haven't experienced it yourself. But but in that way that everyone I meet who has someone close to them who has ended their life, I think can understand what I, I mean when I say, well, after that, you never hear a phone ringing at an odd hour without thinking the absolute worst it's just the first you know as soon as the phone rings at like nine o'clock at night you assume the very very worst and if it if it calls if it rings at 1 a.m then you're you you know you're on your feet running through a list of everyone you love. It's just, and that never leaves, that never ends, that never, you still have those moments where you just assume the very worst. Uh, If someone calls you and says, oh, I have some bad news, you immediately go to that, you know, the very, very, very worst imaginable place. And of course, you can be that sort of person without having lost someone, but If you have lost someone, you're kind of forced into that personality and it never ends. You're never going to be past it. You're never going to get over it. And that's probably the thing that I wanted to touch on in this particular novel, that that there are people here and there are ripple effects, but they, they never... Something happened to a couple of these people and they could never get past it. They could never get over it. It still holds them back. And I wanted to... Yeah, you know, touch on that and the anxiety part, and then and then there's a comedy, which is you know if you if if this is the way you'd pitch it, people would not assume. Oh, this sounds fun, but it's <laughs> that's how I use comedy. I use comedy to be able to talk about the very serious matters, because without the comedic settings, it would just be it would almost be unbearable. I think you know I I use the comedic setting to to put us in 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 a place where where we can't have this discussion without it ending us.
0: I feel like they call that gallows humor, right? How in the yeah. depths of despair you have to joke. Sometimes it's the only way to get through and it's almost like this, that's this on a broader on a broader application of it, if you will.
2: Well, it's a defense mechanism more than anything. To me it is.
0: Yeah. Yes. For sure. And what about, what about writing for you itself? Has that helped you sort of through some of these, I know you said you can't get over it, which sounds sort of, you know, depressing and discouraging for people who are trying to get through anything because all you can really do is go one day at a time, right? It's just today until tomorrow in this endless stream of days. So, you know, does writing help you sort of cope with all of that yourself?
1: get 50% off your first card at moonpig.com moonpig.com
2: No, but I think you get through it. You just don't get past it. That's right. It gets easier. You 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 know, you develop coping mechanisms. It's just the fact that 20 years down the line, it's still incomprehensible. It's still yes. It still makes no absolutely no sense. And you still, you know, no no matter how much time passes, the whole, I mean, that sounds so stupid. And so, I mean, it sounds almost shallow, I guess, that that when it happens to someone, someone is going through that experience, someone close to them ended their life. And they start saying things like, or oh, if I only had, or if I had known, or if all oh, the day before I should have, or all oh, that morning I was gone up, but I didn't. And as soon as people start that, the only thing that you can tell them is you can't do that. To yourself. You, can, you cannot go down that road. And I'm only saying that because that road never ends. In 20 years, you'll be asking yourself the exact same questions and nothing will have changed. So there's no... There's no coming to terms with it. There's no answers down the line. And that might be a strange subject to bring into something that I wrote as a comedy, but it's the only setting where I could include it. It's the only setting where I'd say, well, I I can touch on this in a comedic setting because it's bearable there. But I have a very, very hard time touching on that subject in a dramatic setting because it just gets too, too heavy. It's just unbearable. Yes. But I also wanted, you know, for for the purpose of the novel, I wanted to touch on the fact that it, it has ripple effects. Like people people affect each other in ways you're not aware of and in ways that you're not expecting. And in a comedic setting, I, I find that helpful because it's it's incredibly annoying to people. <laughs> it's incredibly annoying to people that you're affected by others, that that you're not this pure little mechanism in the world where you make choices and you, you know, we're not masters of our own fate. I mean, it's a good, it's a good motivational speech before sports, you know, (laughs) before, before the big game, it's a great motivational speech, but we are not masters of our own fate. We're not, we're affected by what other people are doing all of the time. And that annoys us. And part of the the comedic setting for this book was that, to begin with, the people who are in the hostage situation are people who are very, very bad at handling the fact that other people sometimes control their fate. So they're already, to begin with, they're annoyed and and emotionally violated by the fact that someone is here with a gun and now I can't leave I can't go about my day because you decided to take me hostage and that's that annoys me that annoys me because I'm a person who I don't want to stand in line I don't want to wait I don't want to you know i don't want to be in traffic i don't want other people to have this effect on me that's sort of where the comedic structure came from like these kind of people who would get annoyed if you're in a traffic jam because someone was in an accident <laughs> some people get immediately annoyed that why would you get into an accident when i'm in a hurry like why can't you just you know there's no empathy there there's no like oh my god someone was in an accident it's like you ruined my day. You know, you drove your car off the road and now I have to wait because of the the thing. That's the comedic structure. And then I try to, you know, weave that into the the thing with someone ends their life. That doesn't end it. I, I mean, that doesn't... Your life continues in all of the other people, all of the people around you, even people you didn't know are affected by this now. Because this decision... Has so many ripple effects. So that's usually my structure. That I'll try to find one comedic structure that I can build into a dramatic structure, and and, and try to you know make you laugh, and then make you say, oh, "Yeah, but I, I, you know, I get where you're going with this."
0: Wow, well, well done on that front. <laughs> I will never sit in the traffic, in traffic the same way. I know it's so, it's so. All these shorthands of life, right? It, it all becomes about time and wh- whose time is important, and how to maximize time. And sometimes, in the, in haste, people forget what's actually important in life, which is other people and connections and all of that. Anyway, are you working on anything new now?
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm finishing. I wrote Bear Town and Us Against You, and I'm finishing the third part of that now. So the third part of that trilogy. I think it's going to be called the Winners in uh, the US. So it, I'm finishing it now, so it's going to be out in Sweden in October. So I'm guessing next year for the US. That's about where I where I am.
0: And do you have any advice for aspiring authors?
2: Yeah. Well, it depends on <laughs> it depends on the subject. Any advice or something in particular? Or
0: any advice?
2: Well, there's a couple of things that I. I Tend to go back to, I think, you know, first of all, finish something. That's my first advice because a lot of people come, a lot of people get in touch with me and they say, I have this great idea for a novel. What should I do? You you should write the novel. Or (laughs) I've written a great outline for novel. like, should I contact a publisher? No, you should write the novel. Yeah, but what about? Yeah, but you know, finish the story. Finish the story, and I will talk. Yeah, but how do you go about getting a publisher? And you know, do I need to get an agent? You need you need to finish the story because it's impossible for me to read something that doesn't exist. Uh, Put it down on paper, and you know, then turn to the other problems. But you know, finish it, and also whatever you're writing, finish something, and and that sounds. That sounds, you know, like a bit of a bland advice, but, but it's instead of trying to write this huge original novel that is going to change the way we look at the publishing industry, try to write a novella, like try to get like one story, 10 pages. Just get that down on page and finish it so that you can give it to someone and say, here's something I wrote. Would you read it? Tell me what you think. As soon as you finish a story, you get that sense of achievement. You get that sense of, hey, I finished it. I had this idea. I wrote it from start to finish, and I finished it. And even if it's just 10 pages, you have that, oh, I'm putting this aside now. I'm starting my second project now. And that does something to you. But you also learn so much from having a finished project because as soon as you finish it, you can go back to the beginning and say, wow, I learned something from this writing process. And if I started over now, I would have written this another way. I would have started in. A, I think, you know, I know you get all these ideas. And then, you know, once in a while, something that starts with 10 pages, all of a sudden, you realize, like, I think I could build this into a novel. But a lot of the, I mean, I think a lot of really, really good novels has a basic idea that you could write down and take pages. And then all of the rest of it, is, that's the world expanding. So um, try to have an idea that's possible to finish. Like try to get your ideas simple as possible. So that's one thing. Another thing is don't, I'm not gonna give this advice and say, this is how you should do it. I can only say that for me, it helped a lot when I realized that I wasn't original, that I wasn't special. Uh, That was the turning point in my career. And that sounds really stupid, but it really was. Because when I figured out, because up to a certain point in your life, you want to be original. You want to be special. You have this, you have this, you want to be Harry Potter up to a certain age. You're dreaming about the fact that one day I'm going to get a letter and it's going to say I'm chosen. And everything is going to be, everything up to that point is going to be all this this is where my adventure begins because I'm a genius and no one knew it's, you know, you might be a genius. You might be, but, but most of us aren't. And when I figured out in my late twenties that I'm not really special, I'm not really original, I'm probably not going to write, I'm probably never going to write a novel where everyone says like, Wow, this really this is such an original setting, or such an original story. It's such a most of the things that I do are fairly conventional. They're they're conventional in the way I build them. They're, there's a very classical dramatical curve to everything I do. But you can fill it with something. You can fill it with something that's uninteresting, or you can fill it with emotions and something that makes people care. Most of the great songs that I like, there are three or four chords, but you can play three or four chords. You can play them great if you put everything into it, but not everything has to be complicated. Not everything has to be original or like mind blowing. And when I figured that out was when I figured out the things that I like, a lot of other people's like too. Like it's very rare for me to, wow, I saw this TV show and I loved it and then I go on like IMDB and oh it's got 3.7 that very rarely happens most of the things that I like I go on I go on the internet and say, oh it's 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 got an 8.2 <laughs> guess what six million other people loved it too it's most of the books that I love I go online and say, yeah you love it because it's a classic or you <laughs> know you know what It's the number one bestseller all over the world because everyone else loves it too. I have the same kind of taste as a lot of other people do. And when I figured that out, that, well, it's very rare for me to say like, oh, I love this obscure thing that no one one has ever heard of. When I figured that out, it was, well, that's good because that means I can trust my instincts. That means when I write, I never have to think, I think this is what people want. I think this is what the audience crave. I don't have to think that. The only thing I, thing I have to do is think, do I like this? Is this the emotional starting point that I want to be from? And, and is this doing something to me? And that was the whole turning point in my career when I figured it out, that I can trust my instincts because if I like this, there's probably going to be other people who likes it too.
0: It's so funny you say that because I feel like <laughs> I feel the same way. I was t- I was talking to a girlfriend of mine this morning about this about your book and how great it is. And then I was like, but you know, it's not like I'm discovering something. Like it's the number one bestseller. Like I feel like ridiculous that I'm like I I loved this book. You know, like my taste matters. But it's true. I feel like sometimes I even feel with emotions too. And I don't mean to ramble, but you know, if I have an emotion, like if I'm really sad about something or I'm really nervous or worried in a given moment, that just means that there are so many other people out there having the same feeling that I'm having. So if I write it down, I know that if I express it, somebody else is feeling it and they'll feel better because they'll know that I felt it. So anyway, I don't write fiction, but I feel the same way about sort of that emotional authenticity in a Yeah, way. but
2: that's the starting point. And then, you know, I can say that and sound clever. I don't live by it. It's not, I mean, my wife has to tell me, On a daily basis, when I get annoyed with someone, and not on a daily basis, because she doesn't have the energy to tell me on a daily basis, most of the time she just ignores me. But once in a while, she'll turn to me and she'll say, you know what, maybe they were going through some stuff. You know, you know what, Frederick, maybe you're not the only one having a bad day here. You know, maybe maybe they're having a bit of a day too. Yeah. So... You know maybe cut them some slack. Yes. You know maybe that job isn't all that fun, Frederick. So maybe maybe you take a breath because you yep. you make stuff up for a living. So maybe <laughs> you know maybe have some patience for someone who's actually doing a job. We have that discussion a lot, and it's easy to say, but it's 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 hard to live by. But that comes back to the fact that in the novel actions, people that was that's the thing I keep returning to that it's so incredibly annoying that other people affect you so much that you're dependent on other people especially that you're dependent on strangers like strangers can make or break your day that's an incredibly annoying fact
0: It's true. It's so true. Well, Frederick, thank you. This has been so interesting and I was so excited to talk to you. I loved your book. I'm a huge fan. I love the way you just think about the world. It's really awesome. So thank you for chatting with me today. I hope your back feels better. Um, uh,
2: That's why I'm starting to move around.
0: Okay. (laughs) Well, you made it this far.
2: you. a little bit of what what you were hoping for, and
0: I definitely did. I just wanted to get to know you better, and and I, I mean, I hope that you feel that you shared enough that this is the real you.
2: No, <laughs> uh, no, but thank you for having me.
0: My pleasure. Have a good day. You too. Bye bye.
2: Bye bye.
0: Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.